we read the scriptures to not forget where we've come from and where we're going, that is towards Jesus. Take a moment to speak it out loud over your life, your family, and our world. Now let's read scripture together. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. Welcome to Faith Church. We're glad you are with us, and we do hope uh, that you'll make plans to join us as we celebrate Easter. And uh, whether you're in the room or online, man, we're really wanting to go on this journey with you. So if you're here, make sure you grab one of the kits. If you're watching online, why don't you make sure that um, on our central hub, you're able to find a, a digital version, or you can reach out, and we'll make sure you get your hands on a copy of that as our journey to Easter begins next Sunday with Palm Sunday. One of the things that we want to make sure that you are aware of is that whether you're in the room or you're online, that we are all Faith Church together. So I'm going to ask those of you in the room, will you do, do, do me a favor this morning? Can you make the loudest, rowdiest noise and say hello to our church family that's on the other side of the screen? Can you just tell them good morning? We love you. Man, we're so glad that you're with us. Hey, listen, grab your Bibles. We're going to go to uh, several different scriptures uh, the first one we're going to look at is Isaiah 61. Uh, we're going to look at that together here in a little bit. Today I want to bring a message to you entitled Battleground. Battleground. And I want to talk to you about how the practice of worship is a battleground for the life of faith. It's a, it's a battleground for the life of faith. Um, have you ever found yourself in a place where, uh, man, you were just kind of in a funk? Right, like you had a bad, bad case of the Mondays, but it happened to be like Saturday. Like it didn't matter like how much coffee you drank, it didn't fix the problem. You didn't need more me time in front of the TV, that didn't work out for you. Like there was nothing you could normally do to like shake the funk out. And you find yourself just in this moment where didn't really matter what, there was no change in your attitude, there was no change in your outlook, it was consistently negative, pessimistic, and it just felt like there was this crazy, like, heavy darkness all over again. A couple weeks ago, I found myself in that exact same spot. No rhyme or reason, didn't matter what I did, didn't matter how many cups of coffee I drank, I couldn't just shake out of it until I made a decision to do something. See, I was reminded of some scripture that I've been reading in 1 Samuel 16 where, the, uh, where King Saul was faced with this heaviness, this darkness that would torment him and just surround him. And he found David who was skillful and anointed to play music. And it was in, as David would begin to play his harp and play his instruments in the presence of King Saul, everything began to change in the very attitude and actions that King Saul was experiencing were completely different. I was reminded of Psalms 40 where he, where the psalmist writes, for God has put a new song in your mouth, a hymn of praise to our God, that many would see and hear it and put their trust in the Lord. See, it was in this moment where I found myself 
needing some joy, needing something different. I needed to break out of the funk. And so I made a decision to begin to worship God on my own. There was no band. There was nobody around. I just began to lift my hands and sing a song. And something amazing took place. That heaviness and that funk began to be lifted. Why? Because there was a decision of faith that was made. Because worship often is a battleground for what's going on in our life. Look at Isaiah 61. Look at how Isaiah prophesies. And and in your notes on the central hub, I have just verse 3. But I want to back up and start in verse 1 and kind of give you the answer to all of this. Like give you the the bottom line today. I'm going to give you the answer. I'm not going to save it for later in the message. So for those of you that are like, I just need a quick word because I got other things I want to do. And I need to like start planning my game day meal for the NCAA tournament later today. I'll just give it all to you like straight up top where I'm going. Going. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to give it all to you right at the beginning. Isaiah 61, starting in verse 1. Look at, look at what it says. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. If you haven't figured out who they're talking about, his name is Jesus, and he's not a secret that we should be holding on to. That was a good place for the people of God to say, yeah, amen. It's all about Jesus is the victory to the battle that you face. And it's Jesus that you worship that gives you the victory over the darkness that you might be encountering today. To get you out of the funk, you need a Jesus that goes beyond the funk. You need a Jesus who is worthy of worship beyond where you find yourself in that moment, in that day. It goes on to say, not just to comfort all who mourn, but to console those who mourn in Zion. To give them beauty instead of the ashes. To give them the oil of joy instead of their mourning. The garment of praise. For a spirit of heaviness. That they may be called trees of righteousness. The planting of the Lord. That he may be glorified. A spirit of heaviness. How do you break out of the funk and the heaviness that you feel on a Monday. But it's still really Friday. How do do you do that? You lift up a praise of victory to Jesus. Spiritual problems and spiritual battles require spiritual um, practices. And worship is a spiritual practice done in the normal and natural. It's when we gather and we sing together. We've talked about the corporate importance of worship. But today, I want to go beyond the corporate setting and get into your bedroom a little bit, get into your closet, get into your drive and your commute, get into your personal life for just a minute and talk about the importance of your personal worship because you face personal problems that oftentimes surround you in darkness that you can't even articulate. Sometimes you just find yourself in a funk. And the only thing that's going to break out is a spiritual solution to a spiritual problem that you're actually facing in the moment. I believe the practice of worship is this battleground that we go through. Look at Psalms 28, verse 7. It says, the Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him. 
and he helps me. Not, not more medication, not more, uh, not switching to decaf, right? Like, like not, there are practical things that we do and all those things are good. You need sleep, you need to eat. You might need to grab a Snickers if you're cranky and getting a little hangry. Like, like some of those things are true, but sometimes those things ain't working. What do you do then? You need somebody who can rescue you out of it. The shield, the one you trust in. And he goes on to say, my heart leaps for joy. With my song, I praise him. With my song, I'm going to praise him. I can't praise him for you. Grandma can't praise him for you. The church band can't praise him for you. And they were on fire this morning, by the way. Like, they can't do it. Like, it's your song in your mouth to your God. That's it. That's it. And I believe that the practice of worship is the soundtrack to our intercession. Uh, if you have your Bibles, go with me to Acts chapter 16. We're going to look at this story today. And uh, I really do believe that our worship, your worship and my, my worship, is becoming like a soundtrack to the intercession, to the desire for God to intersect heaven with our earth experience. And that is the act of intercession, bringing heaven to earth, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, so worship and prayer are often like intermingled together. And the practice of worship becomes the soundtrack to the things that you pray about oftentimes. But look, look at uh, how it occurred in Acts chapter 16 with Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas were on a little bit of a journey. They were preaching and doing some amazing things, and they came up against some dark forces. Actually, a, a girl who was like operating in the demonic. It was pretty crazy, pretty wild story. You ought to check it out, what the Bible actually says. Uh, like, you don't need to take Hollywood's version of what you think uh, that looks like, but I, I encourage you to figure out what the Bible says. Uh, in Acts, 60, uh, Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas, they come against some trouble, and uh, they had delivered this girl, prayed for this girl. She changed, and like the town wasn't happy because it was a financial issue. And uh, they had a problem when things financially didn't go their way. They decided to kick and scream and throw a fit. And they decided to come against Paul and Silas and get them thrown into jail. And so the, start in verse 22, look at what it says. It says, the crowd now joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. And the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. That's not hashtag first world problems right there, friends. <laughs> right? That's, that's trouble of biblical proportions. Stripped and beaten with rods, after they had been severely flogged, they were then thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. And when he received these orders, he put them in an inner cell, fastened their feet in the stocks. Verse 25, at about midnight. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains straight up fell off. This was like better than a Houdini trick right here. This was all God's power at work. All of their chains fell off. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors were open, he drew a sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had all escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all still here. 
which is crazy. Everybody who was in chains for various reasons no longer were bound in their prison cells nor chained anymore, but yet they stayed in place. Have you ever encountered the presence of God in such a way that it didn't matter what was on the other side, you didn't want to leave that moment yet? And he shouted, don't, don't harm yourself, we're all here. Then the jailer, verse 29, called for lights, rushed in, fell trembling before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Does your worship bring other people who don't know God to a place and say, what must I do to be saved? Because you've experienced something of freedom that I just long for. What must I do to be saved? Listen to Paul's response. He replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. Then he spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in the house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed, the, washed their wounds. And then immediately he and the household were baptized. The jailer brought them into the house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. He and his whole household were saved. The practice of worship becomes the soundtrack of intercession that changes things and people interact with the kingdom of God in a real way. I love that the jailer was so tripped out by what happened. He's like, what do I got to do to be saved? And the jailer, Paul and Silas respond, believe in the Lord Jesus and take your first steps in baptism. On Easter Sunday, we're celebrating water baptism. If you have come to a place where you have put your faith in Jesus and decided to renounce your way of sin and your life in the past and choose to go in God's direction, the first step of obedience is to enter the waters of baptism. If you have not entered the waters of baptism, since you believed and decided to go in God's direction, it's time to take the first step to demonstrate you actually are willing to obey God and be baptized. You can sign up today to be water baptized, and we're going to celebrate it in both the 930 and the 11 experiences on Easter Sunday. Don't delay. Believe in the Lord Jesus and get baptized. Take that next step. For Paul and Silas, like the early church, they already had a practice of worship. In other words, this wasn't the first time they tried to sing a song. They had done it before. See, the best time to be ready for a moment when you need spiritual uh, awakening, when you need a spiritual encounter with the Lord, the first time is the best time to do it when you're not under pressure, when you're not in chains, when you're not fully bound. That's what's beautiful about our Sunday gatherings. This is the perfect opportunity for you to practice taking one more step in your own worship. Safest environment in the world to sing out loud, to lift your hands and to kneel before the Lord. No, 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 people are watching. No, they don't really care about you. If they're going to encounter God, they're going to do it on their own too. This is the best place to begin to practice your worship. Why? Because there will come a moment in time where you deeply need the intercession of the Lord, where you need heaven to overlap earth and intersect and intercede with the moment that you need. And the time to do that is already having well rehearsed the practice of worship in your own life. 
The early church often did this. In Acts chapter 4, you see that the church was together praying that God would do something. And in their prayer, they used the soundtrack of Psalm 22 to lift up prayers and worship to the Lord. And, and, and Peter and John were released from prison and something amazing happened. Again, in Acts chapter 13, before you get to Acts 16, Paul and Silas were among the many of the gathered believers and they were worshiping God from their heart. The soundtrack of intercession was being made before the Lord and the Lord gave them an idea, answered their prayers and gave them clear direction where they needed to go. Some answers to your prayers will only be found in the middle of worshiping God. Some of you have been seeking direction, asking God to help with something, and you need the seed of the right idea of where you should go. You need to begin to practice worship and do it in that moment. And in the space and time where you are worshiping God, watch the intersection of heaven overlap into your earthly experience. Why? Because the practice of worship is a soundtrack of our intercession. I often, that I most often pray with worship music playing. And I will pray my own words, I will pray in the spirit, and I will often pray whatever the lyrics are, they, they kind of prompt a thought in me. And I begin to pray the same songs that I'm hearing and just begin to pray those instead of just sing those. Why, because the practice of worship is a soundtrack for your intercession that allows heaven to intersect with your earthly experience. Heaven invades earth in that moment. The practice of worship does that. Why? Because spiritual battles require spiritual practices. Number two, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this thought down, and that's simply this, that the practice of worship fixes our focus on the right person. The practice of worship fixes your focus on the right person. Admittedly, most of us focus on ourselves more than any others. Some of you are like, no, Pastor, I'm a very selfless person. I, okay, let me, let me prove it to you. Who's the first person you look at and look for in a group picture? And if you ain't looking good and looking your best, the whole picture is trash. Nope, can't use that picture. Take it down. That's a terrible picture. Everybody else looks good but you. Why? Because oftentimes we're always focused on us. And when you make a decision to practice worship, it shifts your focus from yourself to the proper place. Uh, let, me, let me show it to you in Scripture, another uh, a really crazy, amazing story. Second Chronicles in the Old Testament, chapter 20. Now, that's not to get to confused with Second Corinthians, which is in the New Testament, and we're going to go there in a minute. But right now, we're going to 2 Chronicles in the Old Testament. And I want to share with you a bit of a story about how worship fixes your attention on the right thing. And it allows God to do what only God can do. Because if your focus is fixed on your problem, or your focus is fixed just on you and the people around your life, you will not see heaven's perspective and often not see heaven's deliverance. First Chronicles, 2 Chronicles chapter 20 the king at this time was the, was the king Jehoshaphat. Turn to your neighbor, impress them, and say, Jehoshaphat. Go ahead, Jehoshaphat. King Jehoshaphat. Now, what was crazy was that there were three different armies, two big armies and one half of an army, all coming against Israel. Three on one was what was about to occur. 
And in verse 2, you see that some of the people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It's already in Hazazon, Tamar, alarmed. Look at Jehoshaphat. Alarmed. Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. In the moment of pressure and trial, who's your go-to inquirer? Who do you inquire of? Asking Facebook for the best advice? Asking mom and grandma? How about we start to inquire of the Lord first? See what he has to say. So Jehoshaphat did that. And he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. They all came together to seek the Lord. Uh, You see in verse 5 through verse 12, this prayer that Jehoshaphat prays. And then verse 13, it picks up. And it says this, all the men of Judah and their wives and their children and the little ones stood there before the Lord. All of the congregation of the people of God were seeking the Lord for an answer. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite and descendant of Asaph, as he stood in the assembly. He said this, here's the word of the Lord. Listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord wants to say to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, but the battle is not yours but God's. Look at somebody and say, hey, it's God's battle. Remind somebody on the other side, it's God's battle. Put it in the chat, it's God's battle. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up the past of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your position, stand firm, And see the deliverance the Lord will give you. Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out and face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. Friends, I want you to realize they were willing to move on the promise that God gave them. Sometimes we need to put more trust in the promise and the promise giver, rather than focusing on the problems that are at hand. Too many of us have fixed our focus on the problems in front of us, and when you choose to worship God, you fix your focus on the promise maker, the promise keeper, and the promise that he gave you. And it's only in worship that your focus gets shifted to that. Only in Worship does that. It shifts our focus. It goes on to say, Jehoshaphat bowed down to his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell in worship before the Lord. Then some Levites from Kohathites and the Korahites stood up and raised and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Come on. When you're facing a difficult season, sometimes you don't need a whisper praise. You need to lift a loud praise to the Lord. You got to shake out of that funk. Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah, people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord, your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. In other words, he's getting ready to tell them, Remember the promise that we just heard through the prophecy. 
have faith in God. Don't have faith in ourselves. Don't have faith in our strong armies. Don't have faith in our strategies. Have faith in God. Worship gives you the proper focus to have faith in God and God alone. Not in the stimulus check that you just got. Not in the vaccine that you, come on, it's time to put your faith in all those things are wonderful. Praise the Lord for them. Tithe off of them. I'm kidding. But seriously, fix your focus, friends. It's time that we stop fixating on the problem. And you got to fixate on the promise maker. His name is Jesus said, have faith in the Lord, and you will be upheld. Have faith in the prophets, and you will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat then appointed men to sing to the Lord and praise him for the splendor of his holiness. As they went out at the head of the army, saying, give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. What were they doing? They were singing about God's great faithfulness to them. They were worshiping God. Check out what happens. And as they began to sing and praise the Lord, he set an ambush against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount, uh, and Mount Seir who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. In other words, there was this uproar that occurred, and they just started to fight, and they killed themselves off. And the army of, of Israel and Judah didn't have to do a thing. They just showed up, and the victory was already theirs. That's the kind of God that you serve. That's why you need to fix your focus on him, not on the problem. I also find it really interesting that it's important to remember that God did not specifically tell them to put the armies out ahead of themselves. That was their decision. The promise was from God that he would deliver them. It was up to them to figure out how was the best way to keep God in the forefront of our minds to deliver us. Methods might change, but the promises of God do not. God gave you a brain for a reason to come up with the how as it relates to honoring God. God just is demanding, if you will honor me, you will see the deliverance of me. And it was up to them to make a decision how they did it. They made a decision how. How they decided was to worship God. It was of their choice to worship God first. And God came through in a big way. Friends, you're, you may not be facing multiple armies, right? Like invasions coming at you. I know it might feel like it when like all the cats in the neighborhood are creeping up into your yard. <laughs> Gotta intercede. Like I know it might feel like everything is attacking you because that coworker is gossiping and this rumor is being spread about you and, and this reality is the difficulty you face and you got this report from this doctor and this trouble that you're facing here and this impossible situation and all your employees are being lazy and not showing up to work and you ain't sure what to do. Like I know you're not facing armies, but you're facing something. It's time to stop fixing your focus on the problem and start fixing your focus on the God who has given you a promise to deliver you and be for you and be with you and to fight the battles that you might face. Spiritual battles require spiritual practices. That's why the practice of worship fixes your focus on the right person. And it's not you. And it's not the problem around you. And it's not the, the person that's antagonizing you. No, 
Paul wrote and told us in Ephesians that we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. We're not wrestling against another political party. We're not wrestling against a, a government that's trying to control them. We're not wrestling against physical things. We're actually wrestling against spiritual wickedness in high places. Spiritual battles require spiritual practices to see the victory. And the practice of worship fixes our focus on the right person. That's why Psalms 34 says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let's exalt his name together. I love that word magnify because it requires a focus of enlargement. And so when you put God under the magnifying glass, the greatness of him in your view gets bigger. And it is in worship, in the songs that we sing, that declare of the goodness of God, the greatness of our king, the faithfulness of God, how he's redeemed you and saved you and forgiven you and set you right and washed you clean by what Christ has done. It's in your practice of worship that your eyes go on him. And when your eyes are on him, it magnifies to see his greatness and all all of a sudden, you forgot how small your problem really was in the scope of eternity. In the hand of a king who can speak and create everything. There is no problem too big nor too small for you to praise through. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let's exalt his name together. Here's the third thought today. And that's simply this, that the practice of worship helps us win the battleground of our minds. The practice of worship helps us win the battleground that exists in our minds. Second Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 3, says this. Listen to the words of the New Testament. For though we walk in the flesh, in other words, the natural, we do not war according to the flesh, the natural. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not in the human realm. But they are instead mighty in a good Christian. Nope. For they are mighty in... A perfect church attendance record in 2021. Nope. For they are mighty in the person who can quote a whole lot of scripture. Nope. For they are mighty in a pastor. Nope. They are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. What are the high things? What are the arguments? Those are the conversations that you have in your head with a certain person's picture attached to it that gets you all riled up. That's a vain imagination and an argument. It's the thing that you can't seem to battle that always shows up in your mind and grips you and anxiety goes to the roof. Your blood pressure raises and you can't help but want to beat somebody. I'm sorry, should I keep it a little less real and transparent? Right, like, those are the things. Where do we, where do we find knowledge of God in your minds, in your intellect? 
We have to be willing to pull down the things that are exalting themselves above God in our minds. What is the thing in your mind that seems like even God himself can't change? What is the thing that has squeezed out your understanding of who God is in your own mind and intellect? What is the doubt that has crept and lived in such a place in your mind that you're not even sure it's worth continuing to move forward in? What is the lie that has caused you to believe something about yourself that isn't true and won't ever be true because God says something different about you? What is that thing that's been living in your mind? What is the the person and the argument and the broken relationship that has been squatting in the real estate of your mind and it's time to serve an eviction notice to some of those things? What is the toxic way of thinking that causes you to never trust another person ever again that's been plaguing and running in your own mind? We have to cast down those arguments, he says. It's a spiritual, it's not a carnal thing. It's not something that's going on in our world. No, no, it's embattled in the battleground of our mind. And he says we have to take every thought into captivity, making it obedient to Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when our obedience is fulfilled. There's a battleground that is raging in your mind right now, fighting for the accuracy of your thoughts. And it will only be one when you start fighting that battleground in a non-carnal way with spiritual weapons. Because the weapons that you can fight with, they are mighty in God. What is that weapon? Worship is that weapon. It's the weapon that lets you win the battle. It's a weapon that helps you magnify to sing a song about the truth of God, helps you lift your perspective to not just fix your focus on God, but to have a soundtrack that now plays again and again in your mind that is giving you the proper way of thinking about God. That's how you win the battle in your mind. Paul was facing, as he was writing this in 2 Corinthians, he was facing false accusations that were assassinating his character. Completely unjustified. They were personal attacks on his character. Ever been there? They were, they were speaking ill and gossiping and there were other people trying to undercut the legs of Paul's authority to speak and to teach the word of God. He was wrestling with some thoughts. And he says the weapons that you have are not carnal, they're spiritual. They're mighty in God. You can take the thoughts captive by allowing your thoughts to exalt something higher and better and stronger, and that is Jesus. Think about it. It is in our choice to be thankful in our worship that fights the criticism that might exist in our minds. It is the gratitude that we express in worship that helps fight the entitlement that might be growing in your mind. It is the choice to worship where we find contentment in who God is and what he's given to us that helps us fight the comparison trap that is in our mind, constantly comparing our life with someone else's life. It is in the choice to focus and lift praise that we fight the negative complaining that might exist in our own mind again and again and again. Worship is your weapon. The practice of worship helps you win the battleground for your mind. 
So what do we do? How do we practice this this week? Here's what we do. When you face pressures, when you face a heaviness this week, let's lift our voice in praise and lift our hands in victory. In worship to our God. But I haven't won yet. It's still a battle. I know. That's why it's faith. God always responds to our faith. It's who he is. It's what he does. Hands lifted is a sign of surrender. But you know what also hands are? Hands lifted is a sign of victory. You cross the finish line first. What do those rose runners do? Victory. They hit the game-winning shot in the NCAA tournament. What happens? Yeah! Right? Like everybody's jumping and screaming, but what's going on with their hands? Hands are up, and they're shouting for joy. Some of you are facing a heaviness. Some of you are facing some pressures, some attacks. And you can't articulate it, and you don't know what's going on. Can I give you the answer? It's time to take a step this week and practice your worship by lifting your hands and lifting your voice to worship God. Because the battle's not yours. Spiritual battles require spiritual practices. This is what we do. This is why we come to the Lord's table today. To remind us what Isaiah 61 says, that it is Jesus who breaks and destroys those things. It's Jesus who anoints us and gives us the ability to move on. It's Jesus who gives us an oil of joy instead of mourning. It's Jesus who gives us praise and a reason to praise instead of carrying the garment of heaviness in our lives. This is why we come to the Lord's table. Because Jesus is the one who gave us that garment of praise. We have a reason and a way to worship because of Jesus. Jesus won the battle. And he invites you into the victory party. Jesus won the battle. And Jesus' name is the most powerful name that you could ever sing or say. There's power in the name of Jesus. Would you stand with me and begin to open your communion elements if you're at home go ahead and grab your elements as well and as we posture our heart i want to read you a section of out of a book by the name of, of manifest presence it's written by pastor jack hayford who has meant a lot to me personally from a distance his words have really helped shape me and I want you to think about how Jesus has given us the victory and why he's worthy to be praised above all else. In his book, Manifest Presence, he writes this, making commentary on Hebrews chapter 1, saying how each section of Hebrews 1 should be explored as they might be elsewhere in Scripture, for an inexhaustible mine of truth waits to be found in each statement. It is impossible to spend time with passages like Hebrews 1 and not be conditioned to keep our perspective when we worship. The person we worship is predestined heir of all things, the avenue of God's power by whom the world was made. He's talking about Jesus. The radiant representative of God's glory shown to humankind. The ultimate expression of the ultimate reality. 
the Savior from sin and Redeemer of sinful humankind, an exalted and extended Lord, His majesty is on high. This is the one whom we come with our praise and thanksgiving. He is the one whose love and grace prompt our rejoicing and laudation. His Father, our Creator, is the exceedingly glorious one who gave us this Jesus. His commissioned comforter, the Holy Spirit, is the one sent to overflow us with enabling power and give us the capacity to glorify Him. It is Jesus, our Lord. So let the anthems be raised as hearts, hands, and voices do the same. The wisest and strongest thing we can do is to lead people in worship, is to teach them about Jesus as they grow in knowing more of who he is. Genuine worship will ceaselessly arise. Worshiping hearts will be healed and transformed and shockwaves of spiritual vitality will shatter the darkness in our part of the world. Would you bow your heads and hear these words to this chorus of a song. Sing that name to me in sweetest harmony. Whisper tenderly the name of Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. Sing that name. Praise the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Captives are set free, souls at liberty, darkness made to flee when you sing Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Sing that name, praise that name, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Would you just begin to whisper that name? Would you just say Jesus, Jesus. take the bread which represents his body and let's partake of that together and now the juice that represents his blood Jesus it is you that we here are to worship you are the victor and you invite us into your victory Lord, this week as we face pressures and trials and maybe even some heaviness, would you help us to fix our focus on you, Jesus, to lift a hand in victory and practice our worship that fixes our focus on you and allows us to win in the battlefield of our mind. May you be exalted in our worship this week, God. You and you alone are worthy of all of our praise and adoration and our worship today. Thank you for meeting us here, gathering us together as your body, assembled under your name for your glory. Lord, as we go from this place, would you help us to go out with joy, be led with your peace, and may we, like the mountains and the trees, be willing to clap and lift our hands in praise of your name. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.
Hey, friends and family, I hope today's message was life-giving for you. I want to ask you to take a next step and go ahead and click the subscribe button so you never miss another chance to have an encounter with God. And while you're at it, take another step and share it with a friend. Maybe post it on your social network or text a coworker the link. And when you do that, you are partnering and get to be a part of seeing faith come to life in them. Hey, if Faith Church has made an impact in your life, if these messages are helping you gain traction in your faith, would you consider partnering with us financially? When you do that, it helps us widen our reach so that more people can have an encounter with the real Jesus. You can find information and ways to give on our central hub, faithchurchks.org. If you live in the Southeast Kansas region, we'd love to see you in person at one of our Sunday services. You can find those times on our hub as well, faithchurchks.org. Hey, remember this, God is for you and we love you.